Hello and welcome to the Brain Care Podcast, a practical and impactful series of snappy episodes on how to optimize your mental health and performance so you can reach your full potential. My name is Dan Murray-Serta, and I'm the co-founder at Heights. We make smart supplements and clever content with the world's leading experts to help you take care of your brain so it can take care of you. In today's episode of the Brain Care Podcast, we're interviewing Frederick Luskin again, the director of the Forgiveness Project. But this time we're going to learn all about stress, as Frederick is the author of the book, Stress-Free for Good, which ultimately sounds like the kind of thing we all want. So firstly, Fred, welcome back to the show. How are you? Thank you. It's good to see you again. What drew you to write a book on stress would be my first question. I know that many of us experience it, but we don't all write a book on it. So is there a backstory there beyond just academic curiosity? I was a postdoc at the Stanford School of Medicine. And we were doing work with United Airlines pilots quite a while ago on how to help them be more cardiovascularly fit to to last their pilot life before they had to retire. I think then they had to retire at either 60 or 65. The center that I was working on had a um, contract to work with them and they did multifactorial cardiovascular work. And I was asked to develop very quick, simple stress management practices that they could put on little tiny cards if they wanted to in the cockpit or nurses who worked for the company could teach the pilots this stuff in 15 seconds. So my my partners and I, we developed these 10 very simple stress management practices through Stanford, taught them to all sorts of nurses in primary care so they could use it as part of their work with patients. And then after we saw that it worked, my partner and I wrote a book uh, about that, just reiterating those 10 simple strategies. Got it. So 10 simple but scientifically proven steps to stress less. So before we get into that, why do we all stress so much? There's a semi-humorous thing from evolutionary people saying that humans are the descendants of anxious apes. (laughs) That the chill apes, they didn't make it. That at some level, the more anxious, the more negativity, bias, the more alert danger people are, up until recently, it kept them safe. And so those, those, those people who had that feature of being able to find what's wrong in the environment, being able to predict what's going to go wrong in the environment, they had an evolutionary advantage. And, and they were more likely to survive. For us, it means basically chronic anxiety, which is the basic principle of human existence. That you know, we walk around with a with a chronic low level of concern, worry, anxiety, and a lot of that is simply wired in as as part of the species. 
Um, other parts of it come from dysfunctional parenting and, and other things, but but this 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 that core survival basic. What you're describing there, there's also a lot of benefits, right? There are benefits to stress one way or another. Oh, of course. And you'd be bored to death if you didn't have stress. Mm. If you didn't have some challenge outside of your current comfort, you would just keel over in, in boredom or you'd sit there going like this all day long. I mean, it would just be awful. The key pieces with stress, though, are are they episodic and how intense are they? So we like short-term stress. I mean, obviously not getting hit by a bus, but we like things that challenge us or push us or even make us very alert for a short period of time. What the body doesn't handle well is chronic stress like that. And there are limits to how much intensity we can take. So if you're at work and your boss gives you a challenging work problem and you have like one day to it, then that may be fine. But if the challenging work problem takes the next six months, like that, that would kill you. Or if it takes two hours, but you're running around with absolutely franticness. So that that's also difficult too. So within we need some challenge, some stimulation, something where things aren't going to stay exactly the same, but they have to be within some species-wide slash personality limits. Okay, that makes sense. You know, the core crux of your book was these 10 steps. So I would love to know what the scientifically proved life skills are to reduce stress and increase happiness. So over to you. You know, there, there was nothing unusual about these 10. And, and the science that we did was um, doing research that showed that these 10 were very, very good. But here's one. And it's been proven by other you know factors. But like if you don't have anything better to do and you're not happy, just smile. Like a real smile. Like, and they've done research to show the difference between fake smiles and real smiles. So a real smile includes the mouth and a little bit in your eyes, you know, so but those fake frozen smiles or just this, but the rest. But a real smile will change your mood. That's one. Another one is just take a minute or a second even. And remember when you helped somebody. And just stop and remember when you were when your purpose was to be of help. So that lowers stress. Or as anybody will have taught, you know, just relax your diaphragm. Take two or three slow deep breaths and you'll be fine. These are incredibly simple. There are others, but they're aimed at being able to be done anywhere, anytime by anybody in a short period of time. One of the others there is learn to say no. That's one of the 10 stress management things is sometimes you just have to say no. So the simplest way to teach that is we'll just say no. With a little more practice, you can teach people more subtle and sophisticated ways of saying no. So the first practice is just no. The second practice is no, 
well, maybe we can talk about it later. Or no, um, I'm going to come back and give you my own thinking on it. Or no, please revise what you're asking and then ask me again. And then you can teach a decision tree about which might be the best, but it all builds on this just be able to say no. So out of the life skills, what's the one that you found the most useful then? What is the one that you've had to teach yourself the most? What is the one you've had to reinforce the most and practice the most? If, if I ask you to just stop, just stop what you're doing for a moment and just relax your belly, really just relax your belly so your breathing slows down just a little. And, and when you inhale, just have your abdomen expand with the inhalation and, and your shoulders are like soft enough, but you're breathing into your belly. And then just for just a moment, picture someone you really love. And, and allow your belly to still sit there. That's probably the signature practice that, that we have used for 25 years, 20 seconds maybe, but it's the, the belly breathing and then the affection. They can all be shifted and mixed and matched, but there's something about the anchoring with a sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous systems can regulate each other. And then when you think loving, positive thoughts, you're safe. That's the most important practice that we use. Love that. Thank you, Fred. If you had to pick, what would be your top three tips for managing stress for people? So that would be number one, I'm imagining. Well, that would certainly be one. So I guess the question is, what would be another two? Wherever you are, I go to a window or look outside or take a deep breath and recognize you're part of a big world with a lot of beauty and the whole thing is a mystery. So that might be one. Two, remember the last time that somebody was kind to you. And this is a cognitive strategy. If you take a look, life is simply not an easy thing. So you have to develop a certain hardiness, stress hardiness, rather than an expectation that it's going to always be easy or go the way you want. So those would be three really simple tips for people. Great. Thank you, Fred. And uh, as this is the Brain Care podcast, a question we like to ask all guests, how do you implement brain care in your daily life? So what do you prioritize to look after your brain? Good question. Um, I mean, I know for myself that I do regular exercise uh, every day. And I, I'm 66, so over the years I've read that, you know, it's very hard to age successfully while being out of shape. Second, I do try to say thank you as a practice. And I know that that lowers levels of stress and agitation and um reduces allostatic load. And I know that, but thank you. And then there's like, you know, you have to stay intellectually occupied. It's not like I, I do anything that says specifically, this is for my brain. But I know that 
the general protective factors are crucial for long-term brain well-being. Yeah, I think you're spot on. Uh, three that we talk about a lot, particularly that second one on uh, on learning, right? Neuroplasticity, use it or lose it. So staying intellectually curious, like you say, not a surprise to have the answer from an academic professor like yourself. But thank you so much for coming on the Brain Care Podcast, Fred. You're very welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Brain Care Podcast. Don't forget to leave us a review and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes and follow us at your heights on Instagram and Twitter for daily doses of brain care. If you want to know more about how healthy your brain is, you can head to yourheights.com forward slash brain health to get your free score from one to 100. See you next time.